Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dragon Talk. We have a crazy, fun, announcement-filled day today for all of the discussions of Dungeons & Dragons and new places and new worlds and new planes that we're traveling to. I am Greg Tito, and I am always joined by... uh, What's your name again? My name is Shelly. <laughs> and your uh, last name? Naza Noble. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you spell here. that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it starts, it's got M's and N's in it. Yeah. Uh, lots of things. Lots of Z's. No D's though. Like a D&D city. Or P's. We can't use P. Dang it. I did it already like three times. <laughs> this is the podcast. Uh, podcast. The oddcast. We don't have any good. The oddcast. That's pretty much what this well, is. Actually, that's a good word oh, for God. it. Uh, <laughs> the puns are coming. There were too many puns in our Uns, D&D game Jeremy. yesterday. Uns. Uns. Yeah. Oh, it was pretty punchy yesterday too, yes. Unchy. Punchy. Can't say unchy. Punchy. Unchy. <laughs> I never realized how many P words there are. There's Greg a lot was of just starting to explain game. this joke. I know, right? Well, we, we don't have any, uh, 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 what are they called? The, the guards? Pop filters. Pop, pop filters. Pop. Yes. Filters. So you're going to see a lot of <laughs> blowing things up. Uh, I'm terrible. So I'm going to get to don't the actual introduction. Don't make me pull the lever that opens the trap door underneath you guys. All the layer. All yes. the lever. You've, yes. You've been dying to do that. <laughs> the whole yes. time. Uh, so My these, hand is quivering over the lever. <laughs> these fine gentlemen are not going to pull the lever on me, I swear. Uh, James Wyatt is here. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks. Jeremy Crawford is also here. Hello, everyone. Uh, and of course, calling in all the way from Ortland is uh, <laughs> Keith Baker. Hi, Keith. It, it's lovely in Ortland this time of year. <laughs> uh, so we have uh, formed this, uh, you know, uh, penta- pentaverate <laughs> of people to discuss uh, Eberron and Ravnica, two new worlds that Dungeons and Dragons is traveling to uh, in the somewhat near future, which crazy. is pretty crazy. Uh, so if you're if you haven't heard yet, uh, we have announced two new products today. Uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is a Dungeons and Dragons book set in the plane of Ravnica from a little game called Magic: The Gathering, uh, and uh, we'll get more about what the lore is behind that. But uh, James was leading up that fun thing with some uh, members of the D and D team, including uh, Ari Levich, uh, Jeremy Crawford. You had your your tendrils all over it, of course, as well. My tendrils are everywhere. <laughs> Uh, so we'll talk about that, but then also uh, the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, uh, which Keith Baker uh, is uh, the, the the design force behind creating that document that is up on the Dungeon Masters Guild right now for you to download, uh, which is very cool. So very exciting uh, culmination of a lot of work for you, Keith, right? Absolutely. And Jeremy did have his tendrils in there, too. <laughs> they He's are everywhere. It's they great. really are everywhere. They're far-reaching <laughs> tendrils. Yes. So many tendrils. Jeremy, stop. <laughs> Give it to yourself, man. So as I said, Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron is available right now. Uh, and uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, though, is coming out later this fall. Uh, it'll be available everywhere November 20th and uh, in game stores on November 11th. Uh, and we're, we're really excited about that as well. So uh, we are going to, uh, I think that's pretty much all the announcements and news talk we want to do uh, before we throw it to a segment. Except one thing uh, about where, uh, what this means for Dungeons & Dragons as a whole. So... This is sort of a tale, this travel to other worlds that we have been telling very slowly, bit by bit. It's like the slow drip storytelling that we've been doing since the release of 5th edition, where we tell you in the core books 
The D&D multiverse has all of these different worlds. We've spent a fair amount of time in the Forgotten Realms thus far. We took a trip, a very dark gothic trip, uh, to the realm of Ravenloft in the form of Curse of Strahd. People who have Tales from the Yawning Portal have gotten to make some visits to the world of Greyhawk. Uh, And so this journeying out of exploring other vast reaches within uh, the D&D multiverse is this journey that we're now making a big jump in with the announcement of these two products. So with Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, we're going really, really far in the multiverse, actually phasing over into another multiverse, (laughs) the magic multiverse, and showing uh, just how much those two worlds of gaming actually have in common. It's been really exciting working on the book to see how naturally we've been able to express many things that are in magic uh, using the language of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, And we can talk more about what's specifically in that book in a bit. Uh, But I think D&D fans who've never uh, played magic before are going to enjoy that book, and I think magic fans are going to come and say, hey, I I recognize all of this, but now in in D&D clothing. Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron is a different type of journey for us because here we're returning to a world that some of us have spent a lot of time in in the past. Uh, As many people know, Eberron is a world that glimmered into existence uh, back in third edition. Uh, It uh, was alive and well through fourth. And we have certainly had many references to it in fifth edition, but this is our first time to really sort of get off get off the interplanar ship and actually walk around a little bit uh, to see this wonderful world of lightning rails and warforged uh, and you know magic that is often far more common than what you'd expect uh, in a typical d and d world right. that that product is different from uh, the guildmaster's guide which again out November out in November a book uh, as people have come to uh, be accustomed to with D&D, although it is, it is unusual for fifth because we've been on a three-book cycle and now suddenly we have a fourth book. Yes, uh, and it yeah, contains confusing. everything that's that you confusing. need to play D&D in those multiverse, in, 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 in Ravnica as well. Uh, so what we're doing instead with the Wayfinder's Guide, because uh, we're still not ready to uh, let loose a book uh, into the world, we still wanted people to be able to get back to Eberron. And we thought something that has worked so well for us uh, for the life of 5th edition, going all the way back to the D&D Next playtest, uh, which included the book um, Ghosts of Dragonspear Castle, is how valuable it is to be in conversation with longtime fans of the game, and now in this case, longtime fans of Eberron, and really get people's feedback on, is this how you see Eberron? You're, like, if you, if you could... Uh, give us your dream list for the ultimate version of Eberron. What's on that list? And the things that Keith has created, are they fulfilling the dreams on that list or would you like us to tweak it in some way? So really, the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron is a way for us to start this journey together with everyone in the world of Eberron. Uh, It is uh, filled not only with... uh, Eberron-specific game mechanics for people to try out. But honestly, the bulk of it, and Keith will be able to talk more about this later, the bulk of it is actually world lore uh, that 
is ready to go now and and also tons of hooks for you to create your own adventures in Eberron. So the pieces of this book that are sort of they're, they are ready for prime time. It's actually most of the Wayfinder's Guide. There are the mechanical bits that we're going to test for a bit. We've even released a few of the mechanical bits today in Unearthed Arcana. And people are going to be excited to know that as we uh, tinker with those things, if they have bought the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, we will then make any changes we make as a part of our development process to the Wayfinder's Guide. So if you buy it, and then we'd later change how the Warforged work. We're going to update that PDF, and you will get those changes to the Warforged for as a part of your purchase of the oh, Wayfinder's cool. Guide. Yeah, so it's it's a constantly it, evolving. It's sort of, and that's that's why we're releasing it initially as a PDF rather than a print product right. uh, to start, uh, with this idea that it would build toward such a product uh, at a later date. Uh, with people really as they did with the D and D Next playtest, having a chance to, in a way, have a say in the final shape that Eberron takes. It's, but it's also very robust. It is not a small document, right? No. Keith, you spent a lot <laughs> of time working yeah. on this, yes. right? It's a, a, what, 126 pages? Is that what it ended up being? 170, about. What? 70 pages? <laughs> yeah. every, every, time, every time I turn around, it's like uh, 25 pages have been yeah, added. Yeah, well, we just, just noticed today that, oh, there was another 20 pages. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just Oops. I feel like you might have been thinking about this for a while. Uh, yes. It, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 16 years, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's, and so that's, you know, that's, that's 170 pages of content that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, Got a lot of uh, heart and soul and editing time and artwork and layout and things that are, are uh, I think fans have been clamoring for 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 fans of Eberron. And and also uh, one special thing I want to point out about uh, the Wayfinder's Guide is when Keith and I initially talked about him creating this uh, for D and D fans. We really wanted, and this goes back to what I was saying about sort of your dreams for Eberron. Right. We really wanted it to be Keith's dream for Eberron. Uh, so this is this is really Keith's vision. With you know, occasionally me piping in with uh, a little with bit of feedback. Uh, <laughs> James has given some feedback. Others on the team have given feedback. But at the end of the day, uh, people are getting. Uh, the vision of Keith, who was the original creator of this setting, going back to the big setting search uh, in third edition. So it's also an exciting Crazy. chance for people to see Keith's vision. Nice. Uh, and it's a vision that we will get to, again, participate in together uh, as we tinker with the game mechanics bits. And I'm sure Keith will probably be uh, coming up with hundreds of additional <laughs> pages in your mind <laughs> that, that you want to add. Yeah, the, the, have you have you working on the next 170 pages already? <laughs> well, I'm already thinking about things. I mean, I have these tables at the end that are things you could encounter in Sharn that are currently 40 options per quarter, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, I could just keep adding to those. Yes. You know, add another yes. D20 Infinite. every couple yeah. weeks. You know, that's really cool stuff. Are you excited, uh, uh, Keith, to have it out in the wild uh, finally? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's been something where. I've been running campaigns in Eberron now for, you know, uh, over the course of the last year. Um, 
and but of course haven't been able to, to talk about it or to share it with anyone or anything like that and it's it's wonderful to finally be able to actually share it with all the people who are out there and also now that it's part of the dms guild just to see what other people come up with and think of and so i'm i'm just very excited about it yeah yeah that's a facet of it that we haven't hadn't really highlighted here so yeah that that makes a lot of sense too people will now be able to design stuff within the world of Eberron and uh, put that up and we'll see how uh, the public reacts to those as well. Uh, it's always good to see DMD creators out there doing more with uh, the, the playset that we mm-hmm. give them, right? Mm-hmm. Cool stuff. Uh, all right, so uh, there is, even though there is a lot going on today uh, that we've already talked about, there is always more uh, to mention. Uh, so Dice Camera Action uh, had their uh, one episode 100 parts 1 through 5, uh, Mr. Chris Perkins and Jerry Holkins as Dungeon Master for that last one together uh, was super great. Uh, those videos are available now on Penny Arcade's uh, YouTube page. They will up be li- later on the D&D YouTube page as well. So extra special five-part Waffles Incorporated crossover. Go check those out when you can. We'll uh, message from the D&D Twitter when they will be available on the D&D uh, YouTube page. We had Sirenscape uh, in here last week recording sounds for the Waterdeep Dragon Heist uh, adventure, which will be out in September. Uh, the sound pack will also be available in September 9th. You can download it and uh, play it within Sirenscape. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Sirenscape is a soundboard uh, that is optimized for use for Dungeon Masters at the table and uh, we're really excited about custom sounds, uh, some of them recorded by people in this very room uh, for things uh, uh, that you can hear by pressing a button. You'll be able to hear them, uh, and uh, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that it, was really fun. It was a lot of fun. Did you do it? What did you do? I totally did. Got to use my theater degree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I laughed. I cried. I groveled. I spoke. I did spells, and, uh, and then I got to be in a tavern. I was a drunk person in a tavern. These are all things way outside of your wheelhouse. Method so acting. <laughs> <laughs> and a posh person in a tavern. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, look for that on September 9th. We also have uh, Founders and Legends Day coming up this weekend. Uh, we'll be streaming uh, from Los Angeles. Uh, Luke Gygax, as well as Joe Manganello, Stefan Picorni, Satine Phoenix, Rudy Runberg, Mike Merles, Jason Charles Miller, TJ Storm, Kelly Lind Angelo from Girl Scouts Lori. They were just at San Diego Comic-Con doing awesome stuff there. Uh, Mike No and Amy Vorpal and more. And it's kicking off our initiative to raise money for Extra Life uh, this year. So a bunch of Extra Life pages are going live, uh, including uh, news on how you can join the D&D team uh, and stream your tabletop play to raise money for kids in the Children's Hospital Network. So look for more information to drop this week on that. Uh, but we're really excited about it. And uh, uh, last thing I want to mention, I did say we had a, a great time at San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend uh, with Nathan Stewart, uh, Satine Phoenix, and Pelham Green doing awesome work. Hello. Down in San Diego, um, uh, Adventures Outlined uh, was uh, there as well as Joe Manganiello's Death Saves uh, Apparel. Uh, good stuff. Can't wait for that coloring book to come out uh, That's cool. soon. That's coming out next month. That's coming out in August, which is going to be great. August 21st, you'll be able to see it. Todd James is the artist, and Adam Lee from the D&D team wrote uh, the text uh, that you'll find on those pages. So I'm excited about that. Uh, very cool. All right. I think that's all the announcement stuff that I'm going to get to before we go to a wonderful segment where uh, I think it's going to be me and Jeremy talking. What do you think? think I we, guess. I guess. Oh. Fine. All right. Well, <laughs> go ahead and listen to this really fun segment right now. 
everyone, and welcome to a segment of Sage Advice. We haven't had one of these in many moons. Far too long. Many, many moons. Uh, so Jeremy Crawford is here. Hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are going to speak, uh, as we do with other Sage Advices, about a, a uh, topic of uh, rules or mechanics or uh, general D&D publishing philosophy, uh, I guess, is a, a, a big tent pole of, uh, of, of topics there that this segment can cover. But today we're going to discuss uh, traveling to different worlds and planes and uh, parts of the multiverse now that we are adding uh, Ravnica to the multiverse uh, due to our new product that we announced, uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, coming this November, uh, as well as uh, traveling again in Eberron. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, what, uh, w- what's the overview for this, for this subject here? So uh, we're going to talk today about uh, the difference between traveling to other planes and traveling to other worlds, uh, and also talk a bit about how the different worlds of D&D uh, relate to each other, because uh, people often wonder, you know, are... It's the Forgotten Realms in the same universe as, you know, Dragonlance and, and Eberron and yeah. all of these other worlds. And how that works, like the astral plane, does that work in all of these worlds? Or is, you know, the Nine Hells, are they the Nine Hells for all these worlds? Well, how does it work? We're, we're going to get into all of that. Nice. Okay. Uh, as much as the Lady of Pain will allow me to say. <laughs> and for, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know who that is, the Lady of Pain is the ruler of the city of Sigil, which is at the center of the entire D&D multiverse. And there are rumors that she is mightier even than the greatest of the gods and possibly older and might even have been there at the creation of it all. And yes, and that came up actually in a, in a most recent uh, Lori Cheneau uh, segment with Chris Perkins and that the idea of a, a compact or an agreement is what binds this multiverse together. Yes. Yeah. Which is absolutely. really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So is that a good place to start? Yeah. Yeah. Let's... Uh, so... F- if we sort of are looking at uh, the D&D multiverse from uh, the bird's eye view, if we, were, if we could somehow fly up above it and look down on it, you would see this, this great wheel, this wheel that has been in D&D books going all the way back to the first edition player's handbook. When I was a kid, it was my favorite part of that book. Uh, it blew my mind when I looked in that book and it was like, wait. Mount Olympus from Greek mythology is on the same wheel with Asgard from Norse mythology. And wait, over here there's the hells and wait, over here is heaven and you can travel from one to the other. And then the place where you play D&D, this world, whatever you call it, whether it's Greyhawk or, or uh, the, the prime Forgotten material Realms, plane. Yeah, they're all in this plane called the prime material plane. Uh, which has always been conceived of that prime material plane as being at the center of this great wheel. And anyone who's listening who wants a visualization of that wheel, not only is it in the original player's handbook, but uh, because I loved it so much, I made sure it was also in the fifth edition player's handbook uh, where you can see this visualization of out on the outer edge of the wheel are the divine realms of the gods. Mm -hmm. And this includes both gods of good but and gods of evil, gods of law and gods of chaos and gods who fill in the spectrum between law and chaos and evil and good. You then move in from the circle. So in a way, it's like the most abstract part on the outer part of that circle. As you go in in the circle, then you get uh, things like the inner planes. That's just a fancy word for the planes of the elements, the plane of fire, the plane of air, the plane of earth. Uh, and so now you're getting to these these concrete things. And then you get into the middle and there – 
is the prime material plane. The plane essentially that pulls in material from these other planes. Mm. You know, the prime material plane has building blocks from the elemental planes. Uh, and in the people who inhabit the prime material plane, their intellects, their spirits, their philosophies are represented by those outer planes. It's a way you can think of even the outer planes being a part of the building blocks of the prime material plane uh, at the center. Now, there are a few what's, more layers. Before, before we go on, what's mm-hmm. the definition of plane that you're, that you're using here? So, uh, a plane is, in a sense, a, a defined pocket of reality mm-hmm. uh, with... A particular characteristic, plane of fire, it's all about fire, although there's more than fire there. You know, there's the city of brass you can visit uh, and not be incinerated. Uh, It's not just, you know, infinite fire. It is actually a place uh, that you can go and visit. Uh, But there's this idea in the D&D cosmology that that plane of fire has an existence and identity all its own. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not the same thing as a planet. Uh, what we would think of as a world. A plane has kind of fuzzy boundaries. Mm. Uh, And particularly when we're talking about the outer planes, they might in some cases not even really be literally physical places, that they are almost conceptual spaces that you can experience. Uh, We sometimes like to talk about the fact that like you might visit uh, the plane of um, Elysium, for instance, and this beautiful paradisal glade that you visit might, on one of your visits, appear to be one mile away from this glimmering heavenly spire. Mm. On your next visit, they might appear to be 20 miles apart uh, because in those very conceptual planes, space is very loosey-goosey. Same with time. Uh, it's sort of as the more ab- the more abstract the planes get, the more timey-wimey it gets, the more spacey-wacey it gets. That's how I often like to talk about, the, about those outer planes. But the point is, despite that fuzziness, that place has an identity that gives it a cohesion. Uh, like Elysium is a place of peace and everlasting goodness. Uh, we talk about it in the Dungeon Master's Guide as a place where if you went there... It is so beautiful, so peaceful. Things are in such harmony with each other that it will break your heart every time you leave. And if you use one of the optional rules that we have in the Dungeon Master's Guide for visiting uh, these various planes, uh, you might even have a hard time leaving. Like you might actually kind of get trapped there because you're in like – one of the best possible places you could be anywhere in existence. You will lose, you know, 1d8 uh, heartbreak damage <laughs> if, you, if <laughs> right. you choose to leave. Right. Yeah. Right. So a plane is a realm of existence that has a sort of cohesive identity, and it usually represents either a concept or a particular element. The prime material plane is different from the other planes in that it has elements of all of them. It is the it is the meeting spot while also having a more defined physics uh, and and uh, you know time passage makes much more uh, you know it's 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 not loosey goosey it's not spacey right. wacy it is it is defined the, and pr- the prime material plane has space the way we experience it in our world yeah. it has time the way we would experience it even in though our time world. is a construct by humans <laughs> right <laughs> right uh, although you can certainly imagine that the many uh, 
creatures uh, in even the prime material plane would experience that time differently. And we talk about that a bit in Morden Canaan's Tome of Foes right. where different creatures, elves in particular because of their divine heritage and their exceptionally long lives, experience time in a way that is different from, say, a human. Uh, now, there are also, as I kind of give the overview of, of existence in the D&D multiverse, uh, there are a couple other places that are important to point out. There's a place called uh, the Outlands, which is also at the center of the wheel, and it's essentially the meeting place of all of the outer planes. It's where there are these places called gate towns uh, that lead into the outer plane. So there's, a, there's the gate to hell. There's the gate to Mount Celestia. Uh, there's the gate to Elysium. There's a gate to Acheron, etc. And you could literally ride a horse or a griffin or your favorite uh, mount or vehicle from one gate to another. So I've often thought the Outlands themselves are a really wonderful place if you want kind of fairy tale or mythological adventure where, again, you can literally say, all right, this morning... Uh, we were talking to the gatekeepers to hell, uh, but now we have to bring this message over to uh, the gatekeepers of Hades, and oh, they don't like each other. Let's mm. see what happens. Now, uh, is that is that defined that uh, Outlands? Is there have there been settings and things that have occurred in the Outlands? Uh, yeah, so we talk about the Outlands a bit in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, they were first really fleshed out uh, nicely in the Planescape setting mm. in Second Edition. It, it, that plane used to have a different name. Uh, it was in first edition D&D, the plane of neutrality, because that wheel that I'm talking about, each of those outer planes to corresponded to one of the alignments yeah. in D&D. So that plane in the middle was the plane of neutrality, the plane of concordant opposition. Uh, that name was swapped out for the Outlands and was reconceived as still a place of neutrality in that people from very different worldviews could gather and sometimes actually inter interact with each other uh, peaceably. Is that where the city of Sigil is? So, yes. And you, you as so often happens in Sage Advice, you read my mind where I was headed next. <laughs> people are going to think it's scripted, but it's, it never is. Uh, so hovering above the outlands at, uh, uh, at the peak of, a, of this great spire, taller than any spire you would imagine Infinite, possible. right? Uh, it, yes, it's thought, it thought it could go on forever. There, hovering uh, in what passes for sky in the Outlands, because again, once you're in the Outer Plains, what really is space? Uh, there is the city of Sigil, or as some people pronounce it, Sigil, because that's actually how it's spelled. I often like to make fun of how we pronounce uh, Sigil. Because uh, it I, is I did spelled it's sigil. <laughs> the creator of <laughs> yes. sigil. <Yeah. laughs> but the official pronunciation is sigil. Uh, and sigil, which is this donut-shaped city. So when you're on the city streets of sigil, like you can look up at the sky and see other streets. Uh, that is the realm of the Lady of Pain, this mysterious being who many speculate holds the entire multiverse together. That, in fact, might be the personification of the multiverse itself. Oh. And, and she is inscrutable, silent. Uh, gods do not dare cross her. Uh, they are not allowed to mess with her or her city. 
And if people do cross her, she is known for casting them away into these seemingly endless labyrinths, and they are gone forever. Mm. Uh, now, they might be able to find a way out. Uh, you could certainly do a D&D adventure about that. I know, right? That you yeah. just, that's like four hooks of a story right yeah, there. That you yeah, just, you just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I and mean, that's why I, I, the Lady of Pain and her city and the stories around her are so rich for storytelling. I mean, it's why so many of us who love Planescape uh, enjoy uh, this planar material. And it's honestly why the way we present the planes in the core books for D&D is totally Planescape. Uh, we we were such fans of Planescape. We're just like, and it is it's that. just core now. Right. Uh, I mean, that's why the Lady of Pains talked about in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the City of Sigil, the Outlands, the Gate Towns, all of that. Um, it's the default kind of way of thinking about the cosmology. Yes, yes. And one thing we talk about, uh, not only in books people have now, but in, in uh, D&D books uh, stretching back decades, is that people in different worlds can imagine these planar relationships in different ways and might even have different names for them. And, and, and we've even seen that uh, at various times throughout the game's history. Like in third edition, there was actually a version of the cosmology in the Forgotten Realms different from what the Forgotten Realms now has. What the Forgotten Realms now uses is what it originally used back in first edition and second edition as well. Third edition, FR had a brief thing where uh, the cosmology was described in a different way. But in terms of our storytelling, that's fine because you can imagine that people in various D&D worlds would have a host of ways of describing the outer planes. You can imagine an elf might, rather than thinking of the great wheel as a wheel, uh, particularly let's say we're talking about a wood elf, that elf might imagine the cosmos as being some kind of great flower, uh, you know, with each plane a different petal on that flower. A dwarf might instead imagine uh, the the cosmos as being a collection of intricate stonework uh, mm. where they're, you know, they're stacked, the, the different planes are stacked on top of each other and might have like a pyramid relationship uh, with you know, one holding up the other since dwarves so often think in structural terms. Well, you can just look to our own world too and how many different uh, frameworks of the cosmology that human culture has been able to create uh, over the course of the millennia of, of written time. There's, like, there's countless. There's no, every you know, tribe or sect or you know, uh, uh, religion that's formed in the last 100 years has a completely different way of thinking about our existence. Absolutely. And so a fantasy world would have the same. Yeah. And, and so you can think of uh, if you're, you know, a DM creating your own world or you're using uh, one of the official worlds for D&D, you can think of the way we present the cosmology in the core books as well as in books like Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes or Volo's Guide to Monsters. You can think of that as almost like, again, this bird's eye view that DMs are aware of, but the people in the world where you're playing might think of that cosmic structure in a very different way. And so you can play with different ways of describing it, different ways of naming it. Uh, I, even some of the plane's names have changed over time over the course of D&D's history. I know. I remember the, uh, the happy hunting grounds yes, yep. as being the chaotic good uh, uh, plane of existence. And, and the thing is, is even though that's no longer the word that we use, say, in, uh, I mean, the name that we use in the Dungeon Master's Guide, you could certainly still use that name and say, well, even though that's not sort of the 
maybe the name they would use in the city of Sigil, that's a name that would be used in one of the worlds in the prime material plane. Yes, or even one of the denizens of that plane might still refer to it as that because that's how, how they framed it in their head. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another sort of, an, I, I talk about this planar structure and the way we talk about it, the way we name the different planes as being sort of like a DM-facing element. But I also like to sometimes think of it when I think of it more in an in-world way, I think of it as the way that probably a group of scholars in the city of Sigil have mm. described the cosmos, like this very precise way with the relationships being very clear and with established names. You can, you can imagine that in a city like Sigil, which literally has a bird's eye view of the cosmos because the city of Sigil is floating over the outlands where there are the gateways to the other planes. Right. Uh, you can imagine they would have a very precise way of naming everything. But as soon as you're on the ground in, say, the Forgotten Realms, you know, depending on whether you're in the Moonshades or Waterdeep or often Thay or you're in Rashomon, Wherever you are in a world as vast as the Forgotten Realms, you're probably going to come up with come come into contact with people who have wildly different ways of describing w- this thing that's very clear to those people up in Sigil, but not so clear to the people down on the ground. Exactly. So, and, and one of the reasons we're talking about this uh, is because the cosmology is presented, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the cosmology is presented in the 3.5 and fourth edition versions of Eberron was very different from this. Is that true? Ah, so yeah, let's let's go now talk about a world and worlds within the prime material plane. Right. Because I often get asked, you know, are are all the worlds in the same universe? The official answer is yes. Uh, and we talk about that in the player's handbook and also in uh, the chapter of the Dungeon Master's Guide called Creating a Multiverse. And if you go to the end of that chapter, there's a list of known worlds in the prime material plane. And that list includes uh, Toril, the world of the Forgotten Realms. It includes Eberron. It includes Kryn, the world of Dragonlance, and a number of other classic settings. Does it include Earth? Uh, we, I don't believe we put Earth there, but D&D adventures going all the way back to first edition have occasionally involved either brief visits to our world or have involved encounters with people or things that have come in from our world. Right. So, so that's that's always been a kind of a, a thing we've left a little loosey-goosey that of of earth itself being on the prime material plane along with the other worlds. Uh, so before I go directly to the Eberron question, I, I want to talk a little bit about the prime material plane. Okay. Because uh, yeah. that plane is where all of the D&D settings uh, reside. Uh, and so it's easy to imagine the settings as sort of planets and the prime material plane as being space. It's a little more fantasy than that because, because – and Spelljammer uh, was a D&D product years ago – that grappled with this very question. What's going on inside the prime material plane? Planescape uh, and all the planar material in the Dungeon Master's Guide is really about the overarching structure of the multiverse. Spelljammer is specifically about the prime material plane and how you might get physically from one D&D world to another. Because the D&D worlds aren't, again, just planets. Many of them have their own stars. Sometimes they, they have planets they might see in the sky. Like I might be on the surface of Toral looking up and see something 
that a person over on Crin is not going to see. And not just simply because of great distance between those worlds, but because the sky is literally different. The way that the firmament is shown to mortals on that world is completely different because they were created in, in different vacuums almost in a way. So those authors, yeah, right. There was no multiverse uh, uh, story meetings. <laughs> Although the assumption going back to going back to first edition was that all these worlds were in the same prime material plane. But not in the same solar system. Right. Not, not in right. the same exactly. you know, uh, 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 physical space. And be, because, uh, and, and I love that you were, used the word firmament, because the D&D worlds, you can almost imagine them as being planets, but then planets that have also this like – this sphere around them, which is their firmament, the sky they see, mm-hmm. which in Spelljammer that was called the crystal sphere that right. surrounded the world and that you would travel up and then you'd have to pass through the crystal sphere if you were on a spell jamming ship to then travel to one of the other uh, crystal spheres. And there were these, yeah, so it was like these hung crystal spheres that you couldn't see necessarily from other places, but you could... Was it teleportation that spell jammed them across? Was it so the spell spell jamming ships are are ships that you would actually get in, and they would they could lift off from the surface of say Orth, the world of Greyhawk, and fly up, and you pass through the crystal sphere, and then you could travel to the Forgotten Realm sphere, and then land, you know, on the Sword Coast, um, and that's what the whole spell jammer setting is about precisely those sorts of journeys, the adventures you could have in the space between the crystal spheres. Right, because you could have random encounters with, you know, mind flayer ships and gifts, gifts ships and all these other things that could occur on there. So it wasn't just instantaneous. There no. was a travel yeah. component. Yeah, that- and and we've been sprinkling monsters from Spelljammer uh <laughs> in our books for several years now. Uh, you know, the GIF, the the hippopotamus people showed up in, in Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes. They're from Spelljammer. The Neogi, who are a villainous uh, group, uh, they they appeared in uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters and others. And these are some of the the folk you can meet out in, you know, the, the vast reaches of space, uh, which, by the way, in, in Spelljammer is also not a vacuum. Um, because again, it's important to remember this is fantasy; it's right. not science fiction, uh, and has some really wonderful kind of medieval assumptions about you know, like again, the firmaments up above, uh, the sort of like uh, 19th century notion of like the phlogiston out there that that's actually what space is. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing: whoa, I'm knocking my my microphone. <laughs> Uh, it is not necessary uh, if you're playing in uh, any world of the D&D multiverse to embrace this, those sort of spell jammer conceptions. Uh, that can be a really fun overlay if that's the sort of storytelling you want to get into. Yeah. Many D&D worlds really just sort of are concerned about themselves. Uh, I mean it's kind of like in, in our world – there might be a planets out there with other people on them, but until their lives uh, intersect with ours, uh, and hopefully when that happens, it's peaceful. Uh, <laughs> It'll be high fives. Uh, yeah, Good job. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're pretty much just concerned about what's going on in, in our own world yeah. uh, because our lives can be so, uh, so uh, rich with depth. Uh, we often wouldn't have time to think about what's going on over there uh, in that other world. Uh, so again, it's not necessary in D and D to uh, to go whole hog into 
this planet, uh, this planetary sort of travel. Uh, but it's but it's inter- it's a nice way to think about because you know uh, invariably invariably you will get players who will ask these questions right. or want to do mm-hmm. something that you know it, it involves these conceptions. So if you have this in your head, it's always great to be like, all right, well, it is this, just so you know. But your character, you know may know that from reading it in a book, but doesn't really have any conception of how it would actually happen. Unless, yeah. of course, you're, like you said, you wanted to experiment in that kind of storytelling, and then all of a sudden a ship of GIF shows up, and then they have to deal with it yeah. and, and travel you know, across these type of things. But is this a good time to go back to the, to the Eberron question? Yes. And what that yeah, means? let's talk about Eberron. Okay. okay. So uh, there, was, there was a period in, in D&D's life, uh, especially around the third edition years, where this idea of all of D&D's worlds being in one giant setting together, that idea started to go out of focus. Uh, And so you started ending up with worlds that were really sort of shepherded and designed to just be their own thing. Now, they would still end up sharing a lot of uh, mythological touchstones. So you still ended up having the world's most of them talking about the Nine Hells, most of them talking about things like Mount Celestia or Mount Celestia but with a different name. So a lot of the planar infrastructure was still in place even when the worlds were treated like they had no relationship to each other. But again, it's important for people to remember for the background of D&D, the original assumption in first edition was that the worlds were all in a multiverse together and that is also the assumption of fifth edition. Um, And so... Eberron, in its original conception, arose in that environment when the worlds were not conceived of as uh, having uh, this this relationship to each other. Keith Baker and I, in the lead up to uh, Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, we had uh, about a year ago a really fun talk about Eberron's relationship to the rest of the cosmology uh, because Eberron introduces an an interesting twist in that it's not just a world. It's also a world with a set of planes around it. Mm. It assumes an entirely different cosmology. And that posed an interesting question. Like how do we reconcile this with this multiverse that all of the other D&D worlds are in? Uh, Keep in mind some of those worlds are in it but are cut off, like part of the story of Dark Sun, for instance, is that it is in the D&D multiverse but because of the catastrophe in that world, it is cut off from the other worlds. It's almost like a – it's like this desert island and and with appropriately enough filled with desert uh, (laughs) uh, where you're kind of stuck there. Uh, if if your desire is to leave. And you can imagine many people in, in uh, Dark Sun would want to leave, but it is very difficult to do so. Uh, there's also, uh, also been stories over the life of, of Dragonlance where uh, at various points that world has been cut off. Um, but yet uh, in the Dragonlance Adventures hardback for first edition, there's talk even in that book about people visiting from other D&D worlds because... Oh, really? Yeah, because all, going all the way back to first edition... It the, was always a part of that the, idea that it there was, was this multiverse holding it all together. Yeah, because because it was all D&D, yeah. uh, that the settings were settings of Dungeons & Dragons, not separate games. Right. So to get back to Eberron, Keith and I's uh, discussion uh, was really great in that we realized this is not a hard problem to solve. In fact, it's not a problem at all. Because the answer for us 
Uh, and this answer, by the way, is in the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. So nice. the stuff okay, I'm good. talking about right now, people can read about it in uh, the Wayfinder's Guide. Eberron has the story of the progenitors who created uh, the world uh, and, you know, called all of these different aspects of being in Eberron, called them into being. But the progenitors are these sort of mysterious figures. And uh, Eberron also has the ring of Sybaris. You know, you look up at the sky and, you know, there and sometimes pieces of it fall down. And, you know, these are these dragon shards. And Keith said, wait a second. What if that ring is a shield? It's essentially what you – in Eberron, you can actually see what in other worlds we might refer to as the crystal sphere. Oh. And when the, when the progenitors created Eberron, they wanted a world they could call their own. And they wanted more than a world. They wanted a universe they could call their own and made a world with little planes surrounding it with the desire of controlling something of their own. Now, a side note. This is an important story in D&D because D&D's history is filled with stories in all of our worlds. Greyhawk, Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, that you go through every one of the worlds. And there's almost always some story about the, some god, usually an evil one, desperately wanting to rule one of these worlds. But the thing is, you'll notice... None of the gods do. Mm. None of the gods rule any of these worlds. They might rule some aspect of it. Uh, they might have some culture dedicated to them that gives them great power. But, but they've all failed in some it, way. But none of the worlds, like there's no, there's no god who can say this world is mine in its entirety. And even in FR, uh, there is this notion of beyond the gods, there is this sort of truer god, Ao, who makes the gods below Ao seem sort of like just really powerful mortals. Mm. Um, yeah, because all the, <clears throat> the the Avatar series and all that was just about, you are screwed up and, <laughs> and now you've got to go deal with being mortal in your own stupid world. And Yeah, and so there's, there's this idea throughout D&D's history that even the gods themselves are contingent, that there's something beyond them that is sort of like a, great, a greater god or a greater group of gods who are inconceivable... Um, really much more in line with what in our world sort of mystics would talk about, you mm. know, like the divine ultimately is not comprehensible by our, you know, our, our puny human brains. Uh, and so D&D is often hinted at that there is also something like that and that, that the gods that people, that they, they get spells from and that there are temples to are, are contingent. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipotent. We know even there are figures like the Lady of Pain who's appears greater than than the known gods. Yeah. And so there's this 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 di- desire by these gods uh, who can be destroyed to to become have, these over gods. Have something of their own. And so the story of Eberron, uh, Keith and I suddenly realized was these progenitors. I need to drink some water real quick. Drink it. Luckily this one doesn't have bubbles in it, so you don't uh, Yes. <laughs> have to take breaks. <laughs> these progenitors They wanted to solve this problem by creating a world of their own, a world complete with its own planes, and then cut it, and then they cut it off from the the shield that went up around it. With the ring of Sybaris, they cut it off from the rest of the multiverse. 
And the little note I love that Keith put in the Wayfinder's Guide is you can think of when those shards fall, that's actually the shield cracking. Mm. And we put that there as a little bit of storytelling inspiration for DMs because a DM, especially a DM who's, who's used Eberron for many years, could run Eberron uh, the way they always have, now using uh, some of the rules guidance that that is in the Wayfinder's Guide, but just use the Eberron cosmology the way they're familiar with it. But if a DM does want to explore Eberron's relationship to the rest of the D&D multiverse, you can start thinking about, well, what happens when the cracks in the ring get big enough? Yeah. What happens when Asmodeus suddenly realizes and the other lords of the Nine Hells realize there is this whole world that we have not sunk our claws into yet. But there's a whole lot of souls there. Yes. So suddenly Eberron could become a battleground for forces in the broader D&D multiverse who suddenly it's, – it's almost like you can imagine it being like a gold rush where, you know, there's gold in Thendar Hills as various divine beings, uh, benevolent and malevolent, malevolent, uh, suddenly rush in uh, to cause trouble or to try to help people. Uh, suddenly, elves might find their way to Eberron and realize there are these, these elves with very different cultures from their own. Uh, Interesting. I, I think you, you could end up with some really fascinating stories. And that's that a way. great way for, as you said, Dungeon Masters now who have been playing in the Forgotten Realms or, or, or one of these other homebrew settings, but they want to uh, uh, delve into some of the content that's in Wayfair, Wayfinder's Guide and just be like, oh, here's, here's a way to do it. Here's a way, to, you know, this, the, 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 the shield broke and, and the ship or, or these creatures uh, from another planet who have been adventuring in Kryn all of a sudden show up here. And, right. and what does that mean, right? Yeah. Uh, now, uh, we only have a little bit of time, uh, but I want to ask you, how does Ravnica, uh, the, the, the world of Ravnica slash plane of Ravnica in uh, magic cosmology, how does that fit into your conception of what the D&D multiverse means? So, so the, the beautiful thing about the prime material plane of the D&D multiverse is, is it can gobble up anything. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> if it's a fantasy world, it can be somewhere in the D&D multiverse. So because, Cybertron can also <clears throat> come. Sure. And <laughs> so one of, one, of the, one of the awesome things about this conception and one of the reasons why we are such fans of the multiverse is it doesn't just include the official worlds. You as a DM can imagine the world I created is also in this multiverse uh, because we only know some of the worlds. You know, I always think of the official worlds as just the, they're the ones we've discovered so far. Yeah. Uh, but there are many more uh, because the prime material plane is vast and there are worlds of many types there. And you can think of when a, when a new setting to D&D, like Ravnica, shows up. It's like, oh, someone discovered it. You know, maybe it was somebody in Sigil, uh, someone in a spell jamming ship. I'm not sure how the discovery took place, but clearly it happened. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly this world is another one that you can visit. There are also other ways to get between these worlds. We've talked about you know, if, if spell jamming is your jam. Uh, <laughs> we've talked about that's one way to do it. But there are actually more straightforward ways of getting from one world from one world to another using things right in the player's handbook. So one of the ways to get from one world uh, to another 
is through the astral plane or through the ethereal plane. Uh, D&D has, because there are actually a few more planes I didn't mention earlier in my yeah. overview, uh, the ethereal plane and the astral plane are essentially the planes that glue all the other planes together. They're like the, yeah, right, the, the, the stuff that yep. is binding them. And, and D&D has long had this idea that if you traveled far enough in either one of them, you could get to uh, portals or other means of accessing other worlds. So a DM could say, oh, you know, in an adventure, this group was wandering in the ethereal plane and ended up popping out in another world in the prime material plane. And to Ravnica, it's a perfect yep. example, right? And, exactly. And I know I've talked to folks on the uh, magic lore side of things, and they don't, I don't, I don't think they conceive of their planes as planets, as, right. as, as mm-hmm. spheres in a space. Mm-hmm. They're actually, the way they conceive of it is very similar to the idea of it just being a a plane with a firmament, with a sky, right. just like we've been describing here. So it's perfectly capable. And maybe the planes that, uh, you know, the magic story has traveled to over the years is just in... There, there's connections between those. And then Ravnica is the first one that is the bridge between them. And then all of a sudden it opens up all of these others yeah, uh, very, very easily. Uh, another way uh, to get from one prime material plane world to another is through... Uh, one of the many doors in the city of Sigil, because it is said that the city of Sigil has a door to everywhere, at you know at least one door to to every place you can, every world you could go in the D and D multiverse. And so, if you could just find the right door, uh, you could find the door to Ravnica. You could find the door to Eberron or one of the other D and D settings. Another way uh, that you can get from one world to another, and this is actually some a question that's come up a number of times for me on Twitter, mm. and I even saw the question this morning, and I thought, I'll hold off on answering it because I'm going to talk about it today in Sage Advice. Nice. I hope you're watching. The, the question has come up. Can I use even a spell like teleport or teleportation circle to get to another D&D world? The answer is yes, because all the teleportation spells require... Uh, and as always, look at the wording of each spell to see how that particular spell works and what its requirements are. But <clears throat> typically what you need to know is the sigil sequence of a teleportation circle, uh, wherever it is you're trying to go, and the destination has to be on the same plane of existence. The, the material vi- plane is the yes, same plane of existence. exactly. The Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk are both on the prime material plane. They are on the same plane of existence. And so if you are in the Forgotten Realms and know the sigil sequence of a circle in Greyhawk, you can teleport from one world to the other. You just need to know the telephone number and you can go right there. But that's a big if because, and that's, and, and, and so on one hand, it's very simple. Like, hey, we could just pop over to the city of Greyhawk today. Well, only if you know that sigil sequence, and that's in the hands of the dungeon master. Right. Whether whether the GM is ever going to allow uh, that that very useful piece of information uh, to fall into your hands. But that's a quest or a, or a story hook unto itself, right there. Is to find that sequence, and there's only one you know ver, you know page that that's written on, and that's in some sages uh tower uh far away that you have you know right so yeah there's great ways to delay so you don't have to worry (laughs) read all up on uh on uh uh, you know ravnica in the in the meantime in between sessions yeah and (laughs) and also you can imagine that the keepers of those teleportation circles would guard those sigil sequences uh 
passionately because they don't want just anybody showing up on their doorstep. You know, if they were, you know, handing out their sigil sequence on business cards, you know, it's like you don't know what's going to show up. <laughs> and so it, it But even that's a great story Huck, yeah. as being like, "Oh, I'm the owner of this mage tower and then you know a gift shows up why yeah. why is that gift here that right. makes no sense that it can't even do, do magic right? who yeah who gave out the sigil sequence yeah uh who uh you know did someone sell it on the black market you know it has you know in the case of you know maybe uh an archmage who has a, a, a sigil sequence in their tower did their apprentice uh betray them uh you know did they give that sequence out uh, I know. See, all of these have so many possibilities for for more stories to tell, even ones that you know. And obviously, you, you want the the theme to be the one that you want to tell. So, you, as you said at the beginning of this, like it has to, you have to want to tell these type of planar stories. But there's so much there to to delve into if you do. Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons, by the way, why we embrace this notion of sigil sequences is to make sure it stays in the DM's hands, because. Uh, we didn't want to make it so that a player could just out of the blue say, hey, DM, sure, we're playing on your homebrew world, but I'm going to hop over onto Waterdeep. Poof, I um, cast my spell. Because of how the how these spells are written in the player's handbook requiring these sequences, the person can only do that if essentially the DM has made it possible for them to do that. Makes sense. Uh, and it's a single situ- sequence, right? <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been waiting for you to say that. And actually, every time I've said the word sigil, I've I've, in, I've mentally paused for a moment to think, okay, did I actually say sigil or sigil? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the dangers of uh, uh, working on Dungeons and Dragons yes. is constantly <laughs> questioning your own pronunciation. <laughs> was, was, there, I, was I using the real pronunciation or the fake pronunciation <laughs> yeah. that or we it, made up? Is it the code name or the real name? I don't know. Uh, but excellent. All right. Well, that is a pretty good uh, uh, overview of uh, our current thinking of the cosmology and how new settings doesn't mess up that cosmology. It actually no. just adds to what yeah. our conceptions already are. Absolutely. And and again, uh, I want to reiterate that each group gets to decide how much this this wondrous cosmology uh, is really a part of their storytelling. If you want your story to be about we're going into that haunted castle or we're going into that cave and fighting goblins and getting their treasure. That's awesome. That's, those are D&D stories. It's also a, a legit D&D story if you – like we're going to hop around from one world to another. We're then going to go visit Mount Celestia before zooming by the Nine Hells and then rest and put our feet up uh, this evening in the city of Sickle. Like that – all of it is D&D. Uh, it's it's one of the many, many things I love about our multiverse uh, that we have all these worlds and also that the worlds often represent different types of fantasy. Uh, so yeah. you also – you can travel to the world that has the type of fantasy you want. Uh, you want sort of uh, – you want classic sword and sorcery type of adventure, go off to Greyhawk. You want high fantasy with everything and the kitchen sink, uh, we have the Forgotten Realms. You want – uh, fantasy with a romantic mythic element, we have Dragonlance for you. You want gothic horror? Well, over here is Ravenloft. You want almost like uh, a post-apocalyptic uh, survival stories? Here's Dark Sun. Yeah. And I could just keep going because each of the worlds uh, has some hook that can make it so that your storytelling uh, will have a different quality than it might in one of the other worlds. Exactly. Um, and, and then that's true today of Eberron, where, you know, essentially magic and technology meet. 
and all of that is happening in the shadow of a great continental war that has just ended. Uh, or you can go to uh, Ravnica, this uh, wildly diverse plane where you know these different guilds, each with very different goals for existence, try to coexist, and you find your way uh, in that that sometimes very dangerous environment. Nice. Now we'll have to have a separate uh, discussion about how uh, uh, Ravenloft and Innistrad uh, coexist and yes. what that means. So, uh, <laughs> so I will. Uh, so I want to mention real quick before we leave uh, a, a f- couple of other planes. There's the positive energy plane, the negative energy plane. These are just like pure energy, life energy and yeah. death energy. I think we've done lore, you should know, segments yep. on those too because they're such hard, uh, I think, places for humans to encompass, right? You get to, you, what, is, what does it mean to be full of positive energy? It's not just a lot of caffeine. No, no, yeah, no. It's actually like so much life it could kill you. Exactly, right? Which is, yeah. So, and, But I bring those up because the idea for, for decades in D&D is that those are two other planes that connect to all of the worlds. Uh, and then finally, um, I'll close with two other planes that have connections with every world. The connections can be different from world to world, but they're there nonetheless. And that is the plane of Feywild, of the Feywild, which is also called Fairy, and also the plane of the Shadowfell. And the Shadowfell contains within it also the domains of dread, including Ravenloft. And both the Shadowfell and Feywild are other ways that you might travel from one world to another. Right. Uh, and each of those planes that you used to travel through can itself be an adventure mm. uh, where you know the, the journey you take through the bright, wondrous lands of the Feywild is going to be very different from the journey you might take through the perpetual gloom of the Shadowfell. Excellent. Yes. Ah. So much storytelling to dive into. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited that we're bringing, you know, uh, a more uh, detailed look at Ravnica and Eberron uh, in the rest of 2018, as well as all the fun stuff uh, coming from uh, Forgotten Realms. So yeah. good stuff. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to join me more sage advice going forward. But if people want to get in touch with you or ask you questions about rules or mechanics or any of this cosmology, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter is the best place where I am Jeremy E. Crawford. E. The E stands for Eric. That's my middle name. Excellent. All right, good. Now everyone, I thought it was for excellent, but (laughs) just Eric. Just Eric. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Come and uh, uh, we'll hopefully have you back for another stage of my story soon. That was that great (laughs) segment. That was so fun to look. Listen to, was. wasn't it, you guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we will actually now, we'll record after this. After this, right? Yes. Ah, great. No pressure. <laughs> we are time travelers. That's what's so great about podcast creating stuff. Uh, so now we get to have to... to Good. Let's, I got lots of questions. So many questions, right? You start. All what right. do you want to hear about first, Shelley? Um, I, let's, let's, let's go to, to Keith for this one. <laughs> Hi, right. Keith. Caller, are you there? Hi. Hi. <laughs> Long-time listener. Um, so Aberon was my very first setting that I ever played D and D in. My little mm-hmm. sorceress was from Sharn. Is that true? Oh, totally true. Um, so, how do you? I don't even know. I don't even know. One hundred and seventy pages. Is there? Mm-hmm. Are we seeing familiar things in here from 
the Eberron that we have explored in? Is it new stuff? Was it stuff like you've been thinking about since third edition? Like, God, I wish I changed that or I wish I could open. Or is it like, hey, there's this whole new world that you didn't even know existed on this plane. What is in well, this book? One of one of the things about it was uh, not wanting to just retread what we've already done in uh, the 3.5 and 4th edition uh, campaign setting books because those are all out there. So we didn't want to just redo here's the same descriptions and here's the same history and such uh, that you've already got. Um, so really what the Wayfinder's Guide is all about is giving you either as someone who knows the world or knows nothing about it Everything you need to just dive in and make a character or a story in this world. Uh, so it's much less sort of about the details of history or geography and much more about the feel of the world and ways that as a game master, you can work that into your story or as a player, you can work it into your character. Um, so, for example, we talk about the, the countries of Corvair, but the focus is really on what does this mean for you? What kind of character is going to come from here and what are some hooks you can play with to reflect that? Or for the religions, well, what does it actually mean? If, if you choose this as your religion, what is your character trying to do? Um, Likewise with Sharn, there's a big 40 or 50 page section on Sharn. It's not just a retread of the Sharn source book. It's much more about uh, sort of background ideas for characters. Uh, we have a couple sections I call starting points, which are basically three different locations you could use as a place to kick off a campaign uh, sort of with ideas of like the theme you know, how that location could tie to a theme of a campaign, bring the characters together and really give you something to work with. So the whole point is it's familiar. You know, these this is the Eberron old fans will recognize, but it's trying to really sort of open up the story and give you ways to think about it that you might not have thought about before and really just give you a lot of stuff to just use right away uh, and hit the ground running. Has there been uh, a time passage uh, in Eberron or is it uh, kind of set in the same period as the Not, other books were? In, in this book, it's, it's still in, in the, the default time of, of 998, which is right after the last war. Because again, like I said, this is really more about the tone of Eberron right. than delving too deeply into the history. One of the things we very much talk about is the last war, the mourning, and how these things can affect a story. But as I said, it's really just about capturing the tone and how you can use it uh, than doing anything like a big timeline advance. So maybe there's people that haven't explored an Eberron. I don't know. I don't know who they are. <laughs> maybe. But how would you define the tone of Eberron for those people? Uh, so to me, Eberron sort of occupies this space between sort of swashbuckling adventure uh, and sort of, uh, you know, neo-noir intrigue. And and it's up to each group to sort of find their path. Are you sort of over the top swinging on the chandeliers? You know, the adventure we just did was literally jumping from an airship onto a train, you know, a lightning rail to steal a, an artifact. Uh, or do you want to do more sort of gritty intrigue, uh, you know, gangs of New York, uh, big sleep sort of stories? 
Um, so one of, of course, the big things that came up, Eberron is a world where magic is more widespread uh, than in many of the traditional settings. So you do have sort of magic as part of everyday life, including the Warforged, these uh, sort of sentient artificial uh, humanoids created for the last war. Um, but at the same time, it's very much, uh, it's, it's not over the top. You don't have casual resurrection or teleportation. It's just that magic is a tool people have used to create the world and how does that impact things. So it takes a lot of the sort of basic ideas of D&D &D and just sort of expands them out a little bit more, which frankly, I would say fifth edition itself has already sort of moved towards uh, Eberron in a lot of ways. You know, we were noting that we have wand slingers, uh, which are sort of people using wands as, as casual tools of war, as it were, and that's really supported uh, by the way that fifth edition has approached magic. I've always loved that that trope of having the two wands, uh, yep. uh, throwing them everywhere. That's so fun. I always want to make a character like that. I'm I'm running a campaign at the moment. One of the, the three campaigns I'm running is set off in the nation of Kabara, which is over to the east. Uh, of Eberron, and it very much has a sort of fantasy western, you know, gunslinger, small mining town sort of feel, uh, and it's it's been working really well. We've been having a great time with it. I love that. I love that. And now, James, you also worked on Eberron uh, back in the 3.5 era, right? You were I did. one of the writers on the, the original book. Yep. And you also have another connection with Keith, right? And I'm not sure if everyone knows. <laughs> no. <laughs> we were just telling the story before we started recording that uh, about the second day that Keith was in the office uh, developing Eberron during the setting search, I looked at him and was like, you are really familiar. Do you have a sister? Because it, <laughs> it turns out like that... Like you do. Yeah. A, a friend of mine was dating Keith's sister, um, and Keith and I played D&D together years before I came to work at Wizards. That's um, and I totally forgotten about it. Like I went home the first night and was looking through records from that old campaign, and I was like, "There he is, Keith Baker, <laughs> ran this adventure." And, uh, the the royal family of uh, Corvair, their name is uh, the Wiernarn family, and I believe your character was named Wirid. Yes, I think in that exactly original right. D&D campaign, my we sort of slipped barbarian. it in there as a. Oh, no As way. a slight homage. Aww. <laughs> That's a cool but, little Easter egg. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. And this, it was also in Ithaca. I was going to say, this happened in Ithaca, New York, not even... That's later. right. Right. Ithaca pops up on this podcast a lot. Really <laughs> <laughs> the most it's gorgeous. beautiful city in New York. Yep. I, I can't. Gorgeous. I'm resisting the urge to say that it's gorgeous. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> all the bumper stickers. I'm going to bring you home a bumper sticker. That's Please. Oh, yeah, right, because you're going back there. I'm going back, going back next week. Nice. You can yeah. say hi to... Uh, Keith's sister. I will. <laughs> do, do you have any messages for your sister? Oh, I'm actually going to Ithaca next week. So, you know, <laughs> Maybe Keith and saying, I will we'll play D&D. &D. We can play some Eberron. Let's do it. That's so cool. Now, was there, do you remember any, because you were the dungeon master in that session? Is that right? Uh, yeah. 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 Well, it was a big, uh, a big campaign where they had rotating uh, DMs, and I basically jumped in and ran like a little three shot. I think it was, uh, and and it was a lot of fun. I remember, as I said, uh, it was a semi-historical campaign, it's so it was first like century Roman Europe. Empire with a dose right. of fantasy. Okay, so I was going to yeah. ask if it had any, uh, uh, you know, uh, pre-Eberron, you know, uh, thoughts going on in it. 
No, it was it was definitely pre Eberron, and I remember that James was playing a sort of barbarian paladin. That's right. Uh, and I think mine was set- well. It- in second edition, Barbarian wasn't a class. It was a kit. It was a kit. That I applied to my paladin. A kit? A kit. Remember those? <laughs> yep. I had the ambidextrous kit, kit, and everyone was like, that's so OP. What is the kit? And, 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 and the I don't kit? remember a ton of details about like specific things that happened, but I remember I really enjoyed James' character. It was a lot of fun. So. That's cool. I actually have a, an adventure record from that campaign, so I could go look it up. An adventure That's record. Yeah. We, I mean, we had to, with multiple DMs, we had to keep track of uh-huh. what adventures had happened and when and where characters were in the world because we had people traveling all over. It was pretty awesome. That is cool. Yeah. I like that. So, in, in, so James, you are, you are a, in some ways a bit of connective tissue between the two <laughs> books announced today yes. mm-hmm. uh, because our other book, the Guild, Guildmaster's Guide uh, to Ravnica, really grew out of your series of Plane Shift articles that you've been working on and releasing. Uh, and for anyone who's watching who doesn't know, James has been uh, writing over the f- past few years these Plane Shift articles where he explores one of the many worlds of Magic the Gathering and provides guidance on using that world in Dungeons and & Dragons. And we in D&D liked that series so much, we thought, how about we do a book? And uh, looked at the schedule and realized Ravnica was coming. And Ravnica is an awesome world uh, for adventure uh, with the guilds and this this world spanning city and all of the the intrigue that goes on inside that city and so it just the, the timing was right and so in many ways anyone who's been watching the plane shift series now seeing this announcement would realize oh of course this was coming we've been we've been mixing uh, that chocolate and that peanut butter for a few years now in your hands uh, and so naturally we came to you to lead the design uh, of this book which i will also add means that this has really turned into the year of the city because because yeah. the the wayfinder's guide to eberron focuses on the city of sharn uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica focuses on this planet, planet-sized city of Ravnica, and then our big fall D and D adventures focus on the city of Waterdeep. So this is a very mm-hmm. urban year for D and D, which I'm all for. I'm like more urban adventures, please. But uh, I know there's probably a lot of Dungeons and Dragons fans who may be uh, listening who don't know much about the yeah. the lore behind Ravnica. So why don't you give us the uh, the, the, the quick overview or the long overview, <laughs> depending on <laughs> where you want to go. We got time. So the most important thing about Ravnica is the ten guilds that are the the sort of social fabric of the whole place. There is government, there is uh, voluntary organizations, um, they're kind of this, this, the primary source of conflict in the world um, is tension among them. And they are rooted in magic gameplay. Um, there are five colors of magic in magic, <laughs> um, and it's fairly common to play a deck with two colors in it and it turns out there are ten combinations of two colors um, that can you, you can explain the rules from. of magic for us no. <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> um, tap that lamp and then so <laughs> so each guild is associated with two colors of magic in the magic multiverse um, which gives them all their unique flavor um, colors are associated not just with kinds of magic but with personality traits so uh the red green gruel 
clans are are uh, associated with the fiery emotion of red and the connection to nature and uh, stability of green um, to make this barbarian group of clans. Um, I was going to say horde, but they're not that organized. <laughs> <laughs> Less organized than a horde. That's right. never a good sign. <laughs> um, but that's one of the major you know, uh, the, uh, guild organizations is the gruel. Right. And they're right. red, green, and then there's others, right? Right. There are, in fact, nine others. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, what are some of them? Well, so the <laughs> there's a wheel. I can go around. The blue-white Azorius Senate um, is the governing body of the, uh, of the plane. We call them planes in magic. Yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ask Jeremy about that afterwards, how plane, planet, and world mean different things. Yes. Uh, our, our whole sage advice seg- segment is going to be a, about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we already listened to that, so it's already... Yes. <laughs> it's going to that be really fun. Us. Yes. <laughs> Time travel. Um, then the blue-black, Demir, House Demir is a, a spy organization, basically. The uh, blue-red uh, guild is the Is It League, which is a, a group of um, wacky scientific advent- inventors. Um Black adventurers, too. Yes, yes. Black Red is the cult of Rakdos, which is a demonic cult circus. Um, Wow. (laughs) Black Green is the Golgari Swarm, um, which are uh, sewer-dwelling dark elves, uh, dark in the sense that they're away from the light, not... Well, anyway. Um, Insects, creepy things, uh, necromancy... Um, I lost my place. Red green is the gruel. Red white is the Boros Legion, uh, which are our very sort of paladin-y military force. Green white is the Celestia Conclave, a hippie cult that can be roused into anger and mass its hordes to march over you. If you live in Ithaca, that's probably where yeah. you're going to Hello. <laughs> that makes <Yeah>. sense. <laughs> right? they, sound, they sound a bit like the Baki from, uh, from a Greco-Roman myth. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Although I would put red in there, red, red, green. They're sort of more rulish. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we should um, come up with a, a whole other podcast of this. You two talking <laughs> ancient oh, myth oh. Uh, and religion. We we do this for an hour a day at lunch. <laughs> nice. I mean, an hour a week, <laughs> a week. at lunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's talk theology. Yes. Um, <laughs> He's not oh, kidding. I, I would listen to. Him. I know. That's, Let's that's talk so, theology with yeah. James Wyatt. I would totally tune in. Uh, yeah. I'm pitching and that John show right Robert. now. Yes. Um, <laughs> And then finally, green-blue is uh, the Simic Combine, which is uh, the life sciences equivalent of the Is It League, um, making hybrid creatures and body modification. Very cool. And the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is, uh, uh, to, you know, has all you need to play Dungeons & Dragons in this world, including making adventurers that is in line with one of these clans, right? Right. Or, or, or what are they called again? Guilds. 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 It's, Guild it's, 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 so, yeah, that, that, it's, it's in, in the, the title. title. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why I have experts in front of me, so I can <laughs> just depend on you guys. So, yeah, uh, we assume that you want to play a member of the guild. It's possible not to. If you if you want to just play a, a soldier, you can take the soldier background from the player's handbook, but if you want to play a member of a guild, each guild has a background, oh, okay. uh, which is the, the primary way that you... Mark down your character's affiliation with a guild. Um, but beyond that, then your guild gives you contacts and um, it points you in certain directions for race and class and spells. And it you can track your renown with that guild. And we have 
each guild has its own system of ranks. Um, Do they all have names? All the ranks have names? Only in the ver- very hierarchical, uh, white-aligned guilds. I skipped the Orzhov, the white-black. How did I do that? Orzhov. How did you do that? <laughs> you should be ashamed. I should be ashamed. Shame. You notice I was doing this with my fingers as I was going around because they're white-blue and then white-black and blue-black and blue-red. Anyway, um, in the color pie. Um, the Orzhov uh, syndicate are organized crime, bank, and church. Oh. Speaking How of can talking you just theology. be so overt about that? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're the organized crime guild. Like You can't just announce that. It's a fantasy world. Things are crazy. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> but yeah, as, as, as James was saying, there are uh, backgrounds associated with each of the guilds. So if you decide you're going to be a member, then you can have that be a part of your character. Uh, we even present a few new subclasses in this book. In fact, a few that people have already seen. So what's been fun is we have actually been previewing this book for months uh, in Unearthed Arcana and people didn't realize it. So the the order domain for the cleric is actually a domain we're developing for the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Uh, Circle of the Spores. Circle of Spores for Druids also uh, is is for this book. For the Golgari. the centaurs yeah. and minotaurs are also for this book because centaurs and minotaurs feature prominently in Ravnica. So when we did the, because in the Unearthed Arcana, we had to hide all the time that we were working on a magic book. I think I just in the Unearthed Arcana said, and here are two species from Greco-Roman myth and just yeah. left it at that, <laughs> uh, and it, which is how, true. How very true. demure of you is yes. all I can say. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, so... You can explore this amazing city, as James said, not as as a sort of a free person, not me- a member of the guild. But again, we think people are going to want to dig in deep uh, because of all the exciting story yeah. possibilities uh, with guild membership. Now, I should say also the book uh, gives you an overview of this huge, amazing city and does it in a very adventure-building, DM-friendly way. Rather than us go block by block in a planet-side city, which really no book would be large enough to contain, uh, James and the rest of the team uh, have done a fantastic job of giving you adventure-building building blocks uh, that you can use for not only specific parts of the city, but parts of the city that are like that. Uh, so it's sort of it's sort of like you have these variables, and you can fill in. Uh, you know, I'm in. A part of the city that's like this and that's associated with this guild, and then you can use that to generate uh, adventure material. I think people uh, who don't even end up using the city of Ravnica itself might end up wanting to use many of these tables uh, to create adventures elsewhere. And in fact, that was one of the design goals uh, that we gave the writers is make tables that are compelling enough that people might want to use them uh, in other contexts. The other thing I should point out, uh, because uh, uh, it's not the kind of thing when you look at the book you'd, th- you'd think immediately is a part of it, this book has bucket loads of monsters. Uh, it has a monster section that is, by my most recent count, oh approaching the length of the bestiary in Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. So, oh, wow. uh, wow. uh, so if, if people are simply wanting more monsters... Uh, this book has wall-to-wall monsters. Especially ones that 
D&D fans may not have been encountering before, right? Exactly. These are Be- new challenges. Because, uh, because the worlds of Magic the Gathering uh, have you know, monsters all their own, many of which have fantastic art. Uh, this was an opportunity. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. In fact, this is a rare book where we're not sure we have room for all the art we could put in it. Uh, uh, it is just a parade of monsters that D&D fans have never had before. And in terms of page count, we're, we're trying to scrunch it down. So in terms of page numbers, it might end up being shorter than the bestiary but and Morgan Canons. But in terms of number of <laughs> monsters, oh boy. <laughs> we're going with 6.5 for margin. all the monsters. <laughs> kind of <fun. laughs> You break, want your monsters or not? We're going to yeah. break Trish and Emmy uh, so that <laughs> yes. they, they, they do what we, we ask to get them all in there. Yeah, yeah. And that, that is the other thing. This book is beautiful. Uh, it's being uh, laid out as we speak. Uh, and we've been able to lean on uh, Magic's uh, vast treasure trove of art uh, to illustrate uh, this book. Uh, oh, I yeah. think people are going to be dazzled by are it. You using, are you using Magic art or commissioning so new art? It's both. Okay. Yeah. And uh, some really spectacular maps. Uh, there are... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There <laughs> are these... Um, the, there are maps of certain parts of the city of Ravnica, uh, which... Magic fans, so any Magic fans who are listening will be excited by this. this a is map up the 10th yes, district? This is, this is uh, I believe, the first time they're going to see a map yes. of, of, these, of, of parts of the city. Uh, and these maps, rather than being rendered in a traditional style, have sort of this isometric view and this really painterly look. To gorgeous. Really? Oh, that's yes. cool. Yeah. Keith, I eventually want to do the same thing for Sharn. <laughs> I can literally see Keith's wheels turning as he's listening. Like, hmm, mm. these are all really good ideas. So the really crazy thing about that map is that uh, Jonas Darrow is the artist who did it. Um, when we had him in for a concept push working on Ravnica um, for the card set, and he built a 3D model of the 10th district of Ravnica. Um, and in our world guide, it appears from a, a straight top-down view. Um, which makes it really hard to tell what things are because they're just boxes. But So we had him tilt it a little bit, and then he painted over it to make mm-hmm. this map. And it's just amazing. That is super cool. Yeah, yeah and you mentioned that all of these products that uh, are, are, are urban-based and based in cities. Are there, are, you know, if you're playing in Waterdeep Dragon Heist, can you use some of the thoughts and things behind, you know, the, the modular things in Ravnica? Uh, can you use some some inspiration from the Sharn parts of, of, of yeah, uh, Dungeon Master's Guild? While you're like how much can you cross over? Can characters so, wow. from Ravnica go to Because they're all part of the same multiverse well, now. So or are they just going to be like, evaporated? So, so <laughs> <laughs> just like that. You have to act that out like that. Role playing. <laughs> so our whole Sage Advice segment that we're about to do is actually going to be about that world hopping question. Uh, but in terms of the tools in the books, uh, I think absolutely there are tools in each of the books that you could use with the other books. For example, Dragon Heist, we talked about this at Stream of Many Eyes. Dragon Heist has... Uh, section of urban chases, you could easily use that chase material in uh, one of these other two settings. Uh, okay. just, ju- just as uh, you could go to the material on Sharn, and Sharn is this uh, you know, extraordinary towering city, some of the descriptions for which 
actually align up well with some places in Ravnica. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there are there are bits you could take from each of these books to uh, cross-pollinate. Uh, and then the the monsters in particular in the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica could crash into uh, any of these other books. For, uh, one great example, once people have their hands on Dragon Heist, there is, uh, there is a whole section on a circus uh, that's in Waterdeep, <laughs> and, it, and it has cages of you know, various exotic critters well, if a DM ends up getting the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, they could certainly put some of the crazy the uh, Ravnica creatures into the circus in Waterdeep. You could even mm-hmm. turn the whole circus into the Cult of Ractos. Yes, right. yes. Ah. That's, that made it through a portal, and now they are bringing their their de- demonic circus uh, to fire. another world. As, yeah. long as, as long as Zardoz is still in charge, that's all I can <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Keith, you mentioned the lightning rails and, and things like that, and that seems to be a hallmark uh, for for Eberron is this use of, of magic as like a technology and, and what that means. Uh, what uh, you know, how, how can people you know, even if they're not want to de- delve into doing a you know an Eberron specific campaign, how could they use some elements like that and, and kind of just infuse it into into their their D and D homebrew game? I mean, one of the basic things about Eberron is just this idea that arcane magic behaves in a scientific way. It's reliable. It's repeatable. uh, You know, you can learn a spell. And so a lot of Eberron is just about thinking if these things existed over time, how would we start to use them in more practical ways? And so certainly, you know, there's a big section on just magic in the world Uh, that talks about sort of different aspects of things, communication, warfare, medicine, and any of those ideas, you know, someone might just say, oh, that makes sense. You know, let's let's make use of that without embracing the entirety uh, of Eberron. We also, again, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, with 5th edition, Uh, Having sort of cantrips as a more accessible form of reusable magic, you know, this idea of the wand slinger uh, and sort of a little more stuff you can do with arcane focuses to add a little flavor to that kind of a character. And that, again, is something you could put into any uh, any D&D campaign. Um, Other than that, you know, some of the things like the airships or the Warforged uh, or the Lightning Rail may or may not be things you want to drop into just any world. But even something like the Warforged, in Eberron, they're very much part of the story of the world that you have, you know, thousands of uh, these sentient beings, you know, created to fight in war. And what happens to them now is part of the story. But you could just as easily in any campaign, you know, make your Warforged sort of the unique creation of some crazy wizard or something like that and explore that as it a could, different story. It could be like the data or or, or, exactly. com- or lore of, of that world is, is these extra special Warforged. Exactly right. And so that's sort of the point is you can either explore the the story that's built around them in Eberron, but there's many different stories you could tell if you just like the basic idea. Mm-hmm. Like and in, in fact, for for years, I have looted Warforged and used them in, in other contexts and other worlds uh, because I, partly I just love the idea in fantasy of a clockwork person. Yeah, me too. So mm-hmm. I've, often, I've often described them in different ways, but under the under the hood, they're just they're warforged, uh, and I just reskin them. 
One of the things I really like in this current uh, edition is we have a kind of warforged uh, we call the envoy. And uh, the envoy is, you know, where most warforged, the whole idea is they were made to fight. Uh, the envoy is the idea that you were designed for a more specialized purpose. And envoys essentially have like a built-in tool that's part mm-hmm. of their body uh, and, and choose a skill. And one of the things we talk about there is in making that character think about like what were you actually made for? And are there a bunch of of warforged of your model or are you you know a unique prototype uh so one of the examples we give is is basically a warforged with a built-in disguise kit that was made to be you know sort of an infiltrator and the little story we're like ooh, it could be that there's only like a dozen of these out there and mm. you know you're trying to figure out who the others are um, I love that my mind immediately goes to other you know uh, inspirations for that like you know that's that that that, that uh, envoy sounds like it's you know designed to be like the uh, uh, the, the, the skin jobs in, in Battlestar Galactica uh, uh, or you know when you said the specialized tool I'm like oh god that's like the Blade Runner the, the R2D2 uh, yeah. yes Blade Runner <laughs> uh, but what were the, the Cylons Cylons the, yes yes, yes. yes. Um, right. in uh, in Battlestar Galactica and then but then also the droids of like uh, in Star Wars of having like a specialized tool that they can you know bring out and use uh, and and uh, you know yeah I just love that there's so many inspirations you can draw in from other places similar to to taking something from the guilds in, in Ravnica and bringing them into Eberron mm-hmm. um, exactly yeah. Keith, you were saying that you you know you, you seem to have knowledge of the guilds as well. Do you see any way that the Ravnica guilds could start uh, infiltrating in Eberron? Oh, I'm not as as deep uh, you know deep into things as, as as I could be, but absolutely. I mean, there's certainly you know first off, just looking to something like Rakdos. You know, we do already have something we call the Carnival of Shadows that you could easily blend some things together there. Uh, the um, Golgari. Uh, again, Eberron has a number of sort of druidic sects, and there's one in particular where when I saw the spore druid, I was like, oh, okay, you could you could work <laughs> that for the the children of winter. And yeah, there's definitely a, a bunch of places where you could you could squeeze, uh, you know, you could definitely make use of uh, of some of that content. I like that. I'm yeah. running a very non-urban campaign right now, but. Zagtmoy, the demon queen of fungus, is I a part of it, him. and I took some Golgari stuff and incorporated that into my campaign. It's the best way, right? You mm-hmm. can just pull, pull inspiration yep. from wherever you know you think, and that's I think that's a good way for us as creators to uh, envision how these books be used. You know, they don't have to be used whole cloth. Like you are definitely only doing an Eberron setting, or you're only yeah. Doing, I like the mix and match. Yeah, it's like the Garanimals of <laughs> adventure playing. <laughs> <laughs> The Lunchables of <laughs> we give you the smorgasbord and you put them all together into one. Yeah, yeah, that's so exciting. When we're talking about mixing and matching, so we haven't really crossed a stream quite like this before, right? D and D by using magic. By and using ma- like magic and D and D have kind of always like uh, other than walked next to each other, but never just. Not other Not than like the plane shift yeah. series that James has been doing. So this, yeah, this is our first time to really embrace it officially. So how do you decide how much chocolate and how much peanut butter go together? Is it like a D and D book for magic players, or is it like a magic setting for D and D player? Like, how do you decide? Like, it, let's put D and D monsters and characters in Ravnica, or let's take these cool magic creatures and bring them into D&D. So it's a D&D book. Okay. 
just full stop. Yes. It's a D and D book. I mean, we're publishing it. So and <laughs> no, but I mean, no, <laughs> but what I no, but what I mean to say is, that it's not like um, it's not like we made like this is a book for magic fans. Uh, no, it's a book for people who love D and D, and D and D has all these worlds, and now we're adding Ravnica essentially to the roster of worlds. Uh, we certainly would be delighted if magic fans saw, oh, there's this world I love, and it's in Dungeons yes, and Dragons. Yes, I, I see that. Being yeah, a potential um, audience here. But, but at the end of the day, because we did go back and forth on this question, like you know, and finding it, the right balance. Yeah, and yeah, and, and we and we decided in the end, no, this is going to be thoroughly a D and D book that is faithfully presenting this world from Magic the Gathering. Yes. In the course of my Plane Shift articles, I kind of went back and forth on that balance a couple mm-hmm. of times um, and in the evolution of this book went through some of the, the same back and forth. Um, one example is the, the book actually has no mention. I mean, when I went through the guilds, I was talking about color pairs, but the guilds actually, the book has no mention of the colors of magic at all. And, and this, was, this was a, a great example of my tendrils. Uh, so the, <laughs> Which sometimes take the form of hammers. Yes. So the earlier draft of the book actually was filled with references to the mana colors. Okay. But uh, as I was reading through the manuscript, it became very clear to me that, A, those colors were largely meaningless in a D&D context and required explanation over yeah. and over and over again with no real payoff, and so we ended up stripping all of it uh, from the book and just sort of present it straight. Like, here is this guild with no need for us to make reference to kind of this to this meta layer that makes sense if you're playing Magic the Gathering, mm. but which you don't actually need to uh, interface with this world uh, because the world is so rich, and each of these guilds stands on their own with their story and their look and their personality uh, we were able to communicate all of that wonderful distinctiveness without needing to loop through this. And here's its monocolor. Yeah. yeah. So and right. it is just a matter of stripping out a meta layer, though, because each yeah. guild entry has a philosophy section. And when we're talking about the Azorius, if you read carefully, you'll see, oh, I'm here talking about the white part of it and here talking about right. the blue part of it. But what it is is a discussion of the philosophy of the guild and the the different influences within it. Yeah. But there's no, I mean, I'm, as a being a longtime Magic fan and, and, and reading all the flavor text on the cards as being, that was one of my favorite parts of the cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's never a point where a character says, I am for the blue. Right. <laughs> Go <laughs> right. blue. Right. You know, it, right. it is always couched in terms that mean, are meaningful to the character themselves. And, the, and mana doesn't come into that play really at all. And that, and that really gets at the shift in perspective that I had us do when I was like, please strip all this out, <laughs> is, is I wanted the book to be you on the ground, not a person from our world sort mm-hmm. of looking through this meta layer of this card game and now you're looking at a piece of this card game in D&D. No, it's instead, no, we're going to visit the world of Ravnica. Mm-hmm. And what do the people there, how do they experience this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's much more really how we would write any D&D campaign setting where it's like, welcome, you're here, and here's what you see. Right. Describing what the senses uh, see and hear and feel and taste and touch, right? Like that's that's what's it's, it's important. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's actually yeah. an interesting thing about the art too. We did commission some new pieces of art, particularly uh, full-page chapter starts. And... Um, 
we were able in those pieces to get a view of the city that we often don't see on cards, um, not least because the card art is so small, mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. to see an adventuring party walking down the street <laughs> in the rain, and there's a Boros soldier and a Celestia uh, cleric and a Simic something um, <laughs> <laughs> with a bunch of Demir agents on the bridge behind them w- watching. You know, that how would we ever get that in a card? It's too many figures. It's and what does it represent? But here it's the street level view of characters in Ravnica and what, what their life is like, as well as a D and D party, which is just awesome. Yeah. And the yeah. one piece of art that we've you know, a lot of people have seen hopefully today is that cover art. image. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that character. What 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 does she represent? She's not a specific character, but she is a member of the Is It League. Um uh, because they are red and blue, they're strongly associated with uh the Power reddish red is uh, power of lightning and fire, and so they've got a lot of storm imagery and energy, um, which you see in that cover, um, as well as gadgets, uh, an invention coming from the blue part. <laughs> <laughs> you can can you, you get the tendrils out of the? It's hard. <laughs> I I I, gi- I give him a break on this because he works full time on magic. Right. So the meta layer haunts your thoughts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we, we have conversations on our team where we're sitting around discussing our own color alignments. Right. 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 So. right. <laughs> How do you fall? Yeah, Are what's you, your uh, color I'm alignment? really green white. <laughs> yeah. You're what? I'm really green white, Celestia. Yeah. I like to imagine that I'm Boros and I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have Boros rising. Oh, it's I, an Australian sign now. Why not? Yeah. yeah. What's your dragon mark? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a dragon mark, so I'm just saying. That's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now you can't just oh, say that without yeah. showing us. Yeah. <laughs> mark and making. Nice. nice. Oh, nice. That is perfect. I love that. Now and, we're all going to get tattoos together. And uh, <laughs> to, to switch back over to Eberron, as, as people who have already, have already seen who have picked up a copy of the Wayfinder's Guide, uh, they will see what one of the things I love that you did, Keith, was uh, making the dragon marks uh, sub races. Yes, uh, that it is. It is such a kind of deep part of your character uh, that it, it it's like shaping your very being, uh, and I think it's a really exciting direction for dragon marks. What I really like about that approach to dragon marks, which is something I developed along with Rudy Rutenberg of the Guild Adepts. Uh, is that it, it the combination of dragon mark as a sub race uh, and backgrounds lets you just tell an incredibly wide array of stories of you know on the one hand you have the dragon marked noble who is part of the house's you know sort of ruling families and you know one of the leading lights of the house in the middle you have sort of a guild artisan who oh i'm with kenneth but you know i just i just work at the smithy and then you can also have the urchin who you know i never i was never part of the family i grew up on the street using my mark uh to help me survive i had no or, idea i had a leer and our parent <laughs> exactly or the criminal who you might have been kicked out of the house because of of your background and one of the things i do in the book is with each mark i give a couple of examples of like this is someone you could you know who could have this mark with this particular combination of background uh and and things uh background and class and so to me i like it because it's something you can have right away and you can really think about how has it been a part of your life 
And do you have a connection to the house? And if so, what does that mean to you? So I'm really, really happy with how that turned out. Yeah, for great. um, for you know that was that was uh, uh you know uh, a good discussion for th- for folks who may know what a dragon mark is, but I'm sure <laughs> there might enough. be some people listening uh, uh who who are coming to this brand new. So yeah, what what exactly does that mean, and how does it fit into the, how the rest of the world works after the war and such? So you know, it's it's almost time back to our guilds in Ravnica. You know, uh, <laughs> dragon marks in Eberron are uh, there's a total of twelve existing marks. Uh, that certain bloodlines carry a dragon mark. If it manifests on you, it grants you a certain innate magical ability, a sort of aptitude for something. So the mark of making makes you better at artifice and craft. The mark of passage makes you faster. Uh, The mark of storms controls weather. The families that carry these, they are uh, hereditary powers, have sort of formed essentially guilds. You know, we call them the dragon marked houses that have used these powers to sort of corner an area of the economy of Eberron. And one of the sort of underlying themes of Eberron is this sort of drive between the growing economic power of the houses versus the existing sort of monarchies and old feudal structures uh, of the world. Um, And so again, you have these 13 dragon marked houses that are these sort of very powerful, but nonetheless entirely mercantile entities. Uh, And again, if you choose, uh, you know, as a sub race, you can choose to say, well, I'm going to be an elf with the mark of shadow. Uh, and then again, it's up to you to say, well, do you have a tie to House Durrani mm. and how does that affect your character? And that's something you ex- express through things like backgrounds. That makes sense. That's pretty cool. Now, is the mark of making uh, you know, the one that you have on, on your mm-hmm. on your arm, is that what all game designers are? All game designers are of the mark of making? <laughs> do you guys, I think you guys might. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think what other marks would be appropriate. I mean, making does seem like yeah. the, you're crafting, the, you're making, making something crafting. new. Yeah. Uh, I will say in terms of other people I know with Dragon Mark tattoos, my sister, who uh, does a lot of work with horses and dogs and such, has the mark of handling. Mm-hmm. Um, I so think, Shelly, that might be yours. Yet, but I I'm might working get on that it. one for sure. There's, is there a mark of performance too? Is that right? <laughs> well, the mark of shadow is about illusion. And, you know, you can use it to sort of conceal yourself, but you can also use it to sort of weave illusions and glamours and such. And mm. so going back to the idea of guilds, uh, the houses of shadow dominate both espionage and the entertainment industry. That because sort be of yours. on the s- Totally yeah, on the surface, they use it to to sort of dazzle and impress, but then they've also got a secret, you know, espionage business going underneath that. That's totally you. Yeah, I can do jazz hands at will now. It's yes, <laughs> part of my <laughs> it's part of my mark. That's awesome. Your charm. <laughs> I love I love the idea that you need a you need a rule to allow you to do jazz hands at will. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, hands? you must take a long rest before you. Exactly. Do it. I've done it like three times, and it's, I'm overtaxing myself. I have three levels of exhaustion now. Move over, Mage Hand. <laughs> it's time for the jazz hand. Mage Hand and Jazz. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, well, that's awesome. I feel, uh, as I always do when I talk to uh, folks who are passionate about settings and things like this, I just feel inspired to, to tell so many different stories within these cities that we're talking about. So thank you uh, uh, for, for makers. putting... Makers. Yes, for, <laughs> for wearing your mark with pride. <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, I'm excited for folks to jump into uh, Eberron uh, through uh, the Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron on Dungeon Master's Guild right now. Uh, it's available for download. I believe it's 19.99. Gets you 170 pages of amazing content as well as the chance uh, to uh, use that to create your own stories and uh, adventure material. So that's really exciting. And then, as I said, uh, Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica is coming out in November, uh, November 9th uh, in game stores and November 20th everywhere. Uh, and Jeremy, of course, has uh, hammers, ten- tendrils and hammers in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not to mention the uh, you know, uh, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist and uh, Dungeon the Mad Mage, which yep. are coming hot on its heels right now. Yeah, we just sent uh, Dragon Heist... Uh, couple of weeks ago off to the printer and catacomb i'm sorry that's our code name for Aww, <laughs> the, to, cool? for for uh, uh dungeon of the mad mage uh <laughs> that uh that uh, book is uh soon to follow after dragon heist off to the printer so nice. yeah we have we have many many books uh going through busy last yeah. part of the year oh yeah for yeah sure. and we're working on next year right now too in the year after that, yes, uh, yes. as well as the D and D musical right. uh, and uh, mm-hmm. all the other fun stuff that we're always working on. So uh, this is awesome. Thank you all of you for for coming in to uh, talk about this, and we'll be talking about more uh, in the Ravnica probably realm of things uh, as we get closer to release, uh, and then all the other fun stuff as well. And when you got updates coming from Eberron, can't wait to hear more about those. Yeah, and Ooh. and people uh, can expect to see more Eberron goodies uh, coming up uh, in Unearth Arcana also. Uh, because people will rightly wonder, uh, where's the artificer? Well, we we did an experiment with the artificer uh, last year, and we have some more experiments on their way. Uh, so, so people can expect uh, more the the Eberron goodness to also continue. Awesome, cool. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Very Can't exciting. Nice Sweet. to see you, Keith. Yeah, great being here. Thank you so much. I really love talking to all three of those gentlemen. That was fun. Yeah, they have so such great insight into uh, just creating stories. And I mean, I wasn't joking about having Jeremy and uh, James have this like theology fantasy no, I, podcast. I never segment. really like that idea. I know. I would just like be it a fly just, on the wall. It needs to be called "Let's Talk Theology" <laughs> with James. He's and fascinating. Jeremy. I've had conversations with him about this. He's very interesting. He's extremely fascinating. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I love that idea. Yeah. And I love that he's been working so hard on uh, this product, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Looks really great. And he has to come back to D&D a little. Exactly. It's good stuff. Yeah. I can't wait. You know what I like? What? I like announcing products and then having them be for sale immediately. Right? That's kind of cool. That is like the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's surprise and delight. Yep. Uh, so uh, it's on Dungeon Master's Guild right now. Very a Wayfinder's cool. Guide to Eberron. What a deal. What a deal. Lots Seriously, of fun content. Because it's going to be getting updated too? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, the download that keeps on loading. <laughs> it keeps on giving no, you... No, not loading because that would make it... That would be frustrating. You're like, uh, why? I'm refreshing. Why? I'm refreshing. So, circle rainbow. Circle rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> no likey. That was like a Mac reference, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I didn't get it. Oh, see. No one understands Macs <laughs> or, or likes to use them in any way. Really? I, I mean, I guess technically we're using one right now, but... We're surrounded by them. Ah, Macintosh. Spinning rainbows. I am not in that guild. Uh, so, yeah, all that fun stuff going on. Uh, new products coming out. I think I listed them already, so I'm not going to do it again. We What's- had a really busy... October, November. Yeah, and you you do too. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget my board games. There's board games. There's uh, oh, board games. And 
and another game. We we've like Let's you just say it. you you <laughs> you want to? You told me I had to wait for your. There's your an email in your inbox asking about that right now. There is probably. <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about. Oh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it took you a second. Yep, got that one. All right, well, almost went over my head, and I pulled it down. You're like, I dare. just in time, just stomped on it. <sighs> Good stuff. Well, right, we'll, well, we'll give it a proper. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we've built it up too much now. Well, we've built up uh, these we, announcements because we build things up. Lift you up where we belong. We built up these two announcements. Uh, you know, I think a bunch, right? I don't think you ever alluded to them. I didn't. No. Well, we did on the on this channel uh, on the Twitch TV slash DND channel. Well, maybe on a your bunch. news show, but and, uh, I feel like you've kept this one. And Nathan Stewart did as well. You well, because he, he's a spoiler. He is. He is spoiler swag. He's king spoiler. <laughs> Well, we got to figure out something to spoil for him, uh, and uh, I think it might be that thing. We'll do it at some point. We'll but spoil it right off. We don't have to spoil uh, Betrayal Legacy because people know that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to rip up all of the components as soon as I open You're up the box. You're excited to play it just for that? Just to that. I'm just going to rip up components. Even if it doesn't say rip up this card, <laughs> you're just going to rip it up? People are going to be like, um, that's my character. I'm like, I don't care. Uh, that's not even Betrayal Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> you're just tearing up my board games. <laughs> I just go to people's places I can't and start stop. ripping up stuff. <laughs> Damn you, Rob Davio. Hey, he just won a big award. He did. I saw that. It was actually quite a large award. And like literally a big award. I know. Was that at uh, Gamescom? Is that what that was? No, it was in Berlin. Yeah. The, the, the oh, what did you say? Gamescom. I thought, but that's not what I heard at all. I, I heard like calm and I was like, Comic Con? Like, what's what? the name of the German awards? I'm going to. Spiel. Something. Spiel. There's some <laughs> spiel in there. Spiel? I know. So it's really prestigious. Pandemic leg- uh, yes. legacy too, right? Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. So he's using all of the award-winning stuff he did for that game in Betrayal Legacy. And then some. Exactly. So he needs to make room on his shelf. For sure. For another big award. When's uh, Legacy coming out again, so folks know? November 9th. November 9th. Yeah. That's the same day that nope. Killmaster's Guide to Ravnica is coming out. No, you're so, you said the 11th. I'm, I, I don't know how to add or subtract. I'm a very bad mather. Well, it's around there. I think it's. The, I think it is. So yeah. bring a large bag with you to your game shop. It's true. That day because we you got a lot of stuff. To You're gonna need a lot, up. right? Very fun stuff. Yep. Cool. All right. How can people follow you, Shelly? How about on Twitter at Shelly Moo? Mm-hmm. Or Avalon Hill too. That's right. On Twitter. <laughs> also on the Facebook. Yeah. And on the Facebooks. Right. Yeah. You can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter. Uh, I also have the Instagrams, uh, Greg underscore Tito. It's fun stuff. They're mostly of my kids. So Yeah, but they're you know, really cute. They are really cute. Oh, my God. They're breaking my hearts uh, left and right. Why? Because they're just so adorable. Because they're so cute. You yeah. want to eat them? And they're like big kids now. There actually was an article recently about like, why mothers feel the need to like eat their children. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel it. I have I that same it. need. I have that same need. I do. Sometimes I just look at them like, I'm going to just take a tiny little bite And then I'll see like babies on the street and be like, oh my God, I'm going to eat you. Nope. And they're like, no, the parents don't usually like when you say that. No. Usually. And like, it's usually just like other people, like your own children that you want to eat. Oh. I've never wanted to eat someone I'm, else's baby. I'm Maybe I have some hag uh, blood in me <laughs> where I like to consume children. Don't know why. It's just a thing. Was You're it in that article? Did they mention D&D? <laughs> Mars do you, do in that you live in a candy house too? <laughs> yes, I do. And I, Hansel and <laughs> Gretel. large oven? We'll just set it to 450. Uh, if you want to find out about uh, things going on in the D&D world, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Uh, Dragon Plus, you should also download oh, to sure. your Android and iOS device. There's a new issue coming out 
while you're going to be in upstate New York, actually. Uh, uh, I believe August 6th uh, oh. or so is where it's slated to. So lots of fun preview content in there. I will drop what I'm doing and get it. Nice. And then I'm going to call you, and you're going to record you live reading Dragon Plus articles. We could. I like you that. You could Skype me for the oops for the podcast. My we mom might. could be on it. Oh, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. Can you do that for real? No. <laughs> <laughs> she offered, and you're like, no, just kidding. I don't know what I'm going to be doing at 5 p.m. You won't be Eastern dragon talking. Time. That's for sure. My mom would love to be a guest. All right, well, she's got an open invite whenever she wants to be on. All right. Sweet. Tell her. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you can get the Dragon Plus on uh, your iOS or Android device, or, of course, you can get all that content on dragonmag.com as well. Yes, everything, all the social media updates. Right? Just right there. It's amazing. Everything. Good stuff. Everything you need. Uh, you know what you can't get on there? Is a uh, pint glass full of oh, no, don't dice. Don't so, don't oh, everyone's ah. dead. Ah. Ah. Oh, wow.